Hello, and welcome to Avocado Knits, a podcast about anything that strikes my fancy. And uh, I am Timna, your podcaster. I am going to begin this first episode by reading you a story that I wrote about 20 years ago. And this story has since been written by someone else and published uh, as a picture book. I don't remember the title. I don't remember the author. I just remember uh, seeing it come through, come across the table, as we called it when I was working at the Bulletin for the Center for Children's Books. And I remember saying, "Ah, I wrote that. And and everyone was very confused. (laughs) I said, no, I wrote it 20 years ago. (laughs) I never did anything with it. And uh, and so whoever uh, that other author was who had a similar idea and actually did something with it and got it published, Hurrah for them! Well, this is my version, and I get to read it to you. And it's a picture book, and it's called Martha the Discoverer. And it was published, not really, but um, we made little books of stories that we had written in August of 1992. Martha was a discoverer. On career day, she told her teacher, When I grow up, I will discover things. Martha, dear, said her teacher, maybe a profession with a little more security? Just look at these charts. I will discover everything and make lots of money, Martha told her. Right now, I am practicing. I am noticing everything. There is dust on top of the cabinets. There is gum under my chair. There is an eraser in the pencil sharpener. There is something black stuck in your teeth. And it was all true. At dinner that night, Martha noticed that the ice in her glass had disappeared. Where did the ice in my glass go? She asked her father. Still there, gasped Martha's father. Turned into water, melted. But there was no water in Martha's glass. There was only grape juice. But it's there, I promise, cried Martha's father. I must see for myself, Martha told him. Martha put some ice in another glass. She watched it. She watched it some more. She watched the ice for a very long time. I have discovered where ice goes, Martha crowed. It turns into water. Martha enjoyed her new discovery for a while. Then she got bored and poured the ice water down the toilet. I wonder, whispered Martha, where does the water go? I'll bet Dad knows, but I'll have to see it for myself. And she did. So maybe, as you can tell from this story, um, I have a bit of a tendency for potty humor. And out of all my brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm the second of six, and my older sister died while I was a teenager, But and so I'm the, the oldest, um, have been uh, ever since then. And I have two brothers and two sisters who are still living, and out of all of them, I am the one with the reputation for being gross. I am the one who, when we have a family video call, um, is most likely to stick the camera so it looks up her nose. Um, or turn it upside down and make icky tongue and and mouth um, uh, 
faces um, right up close to the camera and stuff like that. Um, I'm also the most likely to, to um, make jokes about farting and <laughs> pooping and stuff like that. I tend not to make sexual jokes. Um, I think that uh, sex is sacred, um, but since I've been married, um, I've been having lots of fun. <laughs> and, and I think that um, there should be some, some humor allowed on the sexual side of things as well. Um, what I most am looking forward to about this podcast is the chance to share with you um, things that mean a lot to me, things that I really enjoy, um, and things that uh, I think should be done better. <laughs> and I hope that you enjoy talking about them um, as much as I do, or enjoy listening to them. And then, of course, I really, really would like you to comment on what I have said. I will reference your comments in future podcasts if you do so. So just some general things that I plan on talking about in this in uh, this podcast and different episodes as they go on. Um, I'm going to read bits of stories or um, short stories and I'm going to talk about them. And uh, this is a big deal for me because um, my whole family um, on uh, both sides is very intelligent and talented, but on my dad's side especially, they are creative. They do, uh, they write books and, and plays and poems and songs and they perform uh, and uh, they do this uh, on an amateur level, pretty much everybody does this on an amateur level, but then um, when you get up to say the professional level, there's still quite a large number, quite a proportion of my um, aunts and uncles and um, uh, parents and siblings and cousins who are doing this sort of thing. It's kind of the thing, uh, the, the, the way of, of life of that side of the family. And I've always been really good with writing. And um, I did some other kinds of performance and stuff when I was younger and I really enjoyed them. But um, writing was always my thing. Um, if you have read any of the Bagthorpe books, that was the string to my bow that I was the most confident in. Um, so I wrote short stories and I, I tried to write novels and poetry and things like that. Um, I eventually found out that my poetry really wasn't very good and so that I got intimidated and stopped writing it for a while. But uh, eventually I'd like to start writing poetry again. And I did a master's in creative writing um, to try to help me develop my writing skills and, and my confidence. And it really did uh, help me develop my writing skills. Also, it helped a lot uh, was um, be, being an, uh, a reviewer for the Bulletin of the Center for Children's Books for a year and a half or so, maybe two years. And that was fabulous training because I read about seven books a week. Uh, a lot of them quite large, <laughs> you know, hundreds of pages long. Um, and then I would write these critical reviews of them. Critical not meaning, I hate them, I hate them, but critical meaning carefully thought about and taking into into account the techniques and the um, and the theory of, of writing. And these were, this was writing for children and young adults. And so I really learned the, the bones and muscles and, and sinews of story. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how to put that to use, and that's difficult because I'm scared to death 
of failure. And I'm also terrified of success. <laughs> I don't know what I would do if I, if I was very good at it and, um, and produced a lot and got published and then had to go on tours and things. Um, I have some health challenges, which I'll talk about later. So anyway, writing or, or reading the stories um, on the podcast and commenting on them, my own stories, other people's, uh, is part of my therapy. Um, it's something that I want to do to, to make sure that I'm in charge of uh, my relationship with stories uh, and, and it doesn't push me around and to give me courage to write more. And hopefully you'll give me lots of feedback and then I will write more of my own stuff. Um, also, I want to talk about my knitting. Obviously, it's called Avocado Knits, and I've been rediscovering knitting lately and have just been having a wonderful time with it. I've not uh, knitted a lot for a few years because I've been doing a doctorate, <laughs> a doctoral program um, in a subfield of sociology, and um, I have not had time to do much of anything, especially not... Uh, something that involved my eyes, my eyesight, um, my um, farsightedness has been getting worse. And also it turns out that I have very dry eyes and so I have to be careful uh, to water them and <laughs> clean them and because I've got oily eyelids too. Gross, gross, disgusting. Um, and uh, so anyway, I just have to be really careful what I use my eyes for. And I didn't have any money and it's so hard to knit if you don't have any money for yarn. And that's still an issue because we're still we're paying off my student loans and stuff, my husband and I. Um, but as I talk about me knitting, I want to talk about current projects. I'm starting to um, dabble in, in sweater design and other item design. Um, then I also included in knitting, I want to talk about crochet because every once in a while I do crochet. Uh, I'll tell you about my local yarn store, which is really a fabulous place. And I've just started getting active on Ravelry, and I'm having a, just a tremendous time. So I'm going to talk about that experience a bit. Um, also in, included in that uh, pattern observation and discussion, you know, just sort of commentary about the different patterns that, that I think are the most interesting and that I would like to do or that um, I think would be uh, – that. In, include very interesting elements, design elements, that I think we could all learn from. I also want to talk about my rats. I have pet rats. I love my rats. Uh, they are, uh, these particular three that I have are, are called um, Gibbs and Tony and McGee, and you may recognize those names as being from NCIS, which is, I think, my favorite TV show right now. I also really, really like... Um, so you think you can dance and Dancing with the Stars, but NCIS I think is my favorite, uh, and um, so I named these boys, these boy rats, soon after I got them, and then it turned out that they didn't have this personality types that went with their names. So sometimes I still get them mixed up. I call, uh, say McGee, who's the dominant rat now, um, I call him by uh, Gibbs a lot because Gibbs is the dominant, you know, guy on the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Tony uh, is, uh, my rat Tony is uh, kind of the, the outsider guy in the rat pack, but he's figured out how to manipulate human beings by um, being really kissy, 
faith and you know suck up to them and and uh, use them to uh, defend him against the other two rats <laughs> they like to wrestle a lot and sometimes they fight really kind of they play they play hard and they play dirty sometimes so um there's that. And then Gibbs uh, is a, like a great big teddy bear of a rat. And he sometimes, he reminds me of Lenny, you know, of Mice and Men and the, the Abominable Snowman on Bugs Bunny. Um, he's going <laughs> to hug him and squeeze him and, <laughs> and <laughs> call him George. And uh, <laughs> he, he's my not so very smart uh, rat. And uh, my husband, Jason, gets so, ups not really upset, but just like, oh, oh, whenever I call Gibbs my, my big dumb rat um, because he thinks that Gibbs really has a lot going for him and he does he's a sweetheart he's just very timid and um, and he loves McGee who is very pushy and McGee just humps everybody um, all the rats he doesn't hump humans um, and he he wrestles everybody and tries to push them around so I'm not sure why Gibbs adores him but he truly does and um, Anyways, we'll talk more about them as time goes on. We just made them. I just made them. A maze box. Um, made a big, got a big box. Got a dehydrator in the mail. And um, so we got a big box. And so I've got uh, some other boxes. A box from Amazon that we got a book in. And um, then some of those um, boxes that the two packs of silk come in. Silk, uh, soy milk. I'm allergic to milk, by the way. I have so many things wrong with me. Um... <laughs> So anyway, I, I taped all of it together and cut holes in it in strategic places, and then I also stuck in some dividers and things, and then and um, let the rats get in there, or, you know, if they wanted to, get in there and just mess around. And they have been loving it. <laughs> they get in there every chance they get. And this was the funniest thing to me. So McGee is in charge of everyone. He's pushy, pushy, pushy. But this one time he wasn't in the box, and Tony got in the box. And then Gibbs got in the box. And then McGee went over and he wanted to get in the box. And there's only one entrance into the box. And both Tony and Gibbs were close to the entrance and they stood him off. Rats do this thing, boy rats. I've never seen never seen it with girl rats, although I just had two girl rats previously. But boy rats do this thing where they stand up and they raise their noses high in the air. So almost you think that they can't even see each other. And I don't know if they're saying stuff to one another, one another, you know, talking smack, whatever it is. Rats can, can, can make lots of noises that humans can't hear. But anyway, after a little while of doing this, then either they get in this big fight or one of the other of them backs down and goes away. So, <laughs> so at this point, McGee wants to get in the box. And Gibbs and Tony are both inside the box. And I can't see Tony, but I can sure see Gibbs. And Gibbs is just standing him down. And uh, McGee gets up on his hind legs and is doing the staring back and, you know, up so high, being real tall. And then eventually he backs down and, and lowers himself and wa walks off about two or three feet away and sits down and just kind of lies out straight on the ground and um, starts grinding his teeth, which for a rat can mean a lot of different things, but, you know, often means, I'm happy. I'm just going to settle down here and everything's fine which to me in that situation made it seem like uh, McGee was saying, yeah, whatever, I meant to do that. I, you know, I didn't want to go in that box anyway. And uh, so as soon as McGee goes away, then Gibbs stands down and 
he and Tony go back to business as usual. So, <laughs> I think McGee kind of got what was coming to him because he sure can be a bully sometimes. So, let's talk more about the, the rats <laughs> as things come up. And um, I'm, I also want to talk about chickens because I help out at the local organic farm. I help take care of the chickens and gather the eggs and prepare them for sale at the farmer's market. And every once in a while I help out at the farmer's market. And this is a learning farm. This is where they teach people how to become farmers. And it's lots of fun. And there are a couple of roosters in with the hens. They were um, surprise roosters. They didn't get sexed properly when they were coming out of the, um, the uh, mass, whatever it is, um, mass, produce, mass egg producing um, company. Oh, and also one of the farmers who uses the land on the learning farm um, is keeping pigs. And so, I, you know, there's some interesting things that go on with the pigs every once in a while. I thought I was not going to like the pigs because they're just stinky, stinky, stinky. They just, you know, it's not so much that they roll in the dirt. It's that they uh, just ooze diarrhea and it's really nasty. Um, but I was over near the pigs recently uh, and um, they came lolloping over to see me. And it was so funny and so sweet. You know, they just, they've got this little lolloping gallop and they were looking up at me and, and they had such cute ears and there are a number of them all together and they're growing up a, a little bit so they're, kind of, they're, they're not little piglets anymore. And they were just, it, it, I felt like it was like, it's as if a bunch of, of friendly dogs were over by the fence looking up at me. And also they were rooting around and taking down all the weeds in that area. They had just been let into a new field. And so they were uh, de <laughs> deforesting <laughs> the field, rooting out everything, um, which I'm sure the farmer intended because that seems like a really good way to get rid of all the, the weeds and stuff so you can plant your own things. Actually, I think I remember reading about that use for pigs in The Self-Sufficient Gardener by John Seymour, which is a fabulous book, and I'll uh, write about it in the show notes. Um, then, <laughs> oh, and also uh, har harvesting vegetables and, and stuff for the farmer's market. I'll talk about that every once in a while. And then uh, also sometimes I want to uh, discuss other people's books or podcasts or TV shows or movies or whatever and kind of turn a more uh, critical eye on them. And again, that's not a I hate you eye. That's a, that means I want to figure out what makes them work the way they do or not work. Um, and anything that any book or item, media item like that, that you might suggest that we look at, um, I'm happy to hear your suggestions as well. Um, and uh, also, sometimes um, I want to talk about theory, <laughs> and these are theories of um, theories that describe reality, uh, and some of them are critical theory that you might run into in an academic setting, and some of them are more religious or spiritual theory, and I don't really, it, to be honest, in my mind, I don't really separate the two. Um, in my experience, uh, the a religious professors that I have come in contact with, either that I, you know, the scholars that I've read or people that I've worked with, um, a religious uh, scholars tend to treat critical theory as their personal 
gospel. And by that I don't mean, well, some of them treat it as gospel in a, in a way that um, that affords no other discussion, no other conversation in, on the matter. And, um, and so I think of them as fairly close-minded and and, uh, but I still think that the theories are interesting to think about. Um, and then, and they also try to, even if they are open-minded, a lot of these a-religious or more um, scholars who are not really interested in organized religion, they may be spiritual, but they're not interested in organized religion, they try to live very, very ethically and they use their critical theory to guide their ethical lives, much in the same way, in fact, to my eye, to my um, observation, um, in exactly the same way as people who take their religion seriously. They try, they use uh, people, religious people who are serious about their religion, try to use their religion um, as a way to understand the world and to guide their own activity. It's really not different. Um, and I understand why legally it's a good idea to, to um, specify who's uh, participating in a religion um, and who's not, but I really think that the, um, the boundary is not as, uh, as, as um, hard and fast as we might normally think of it. So I want to talk about um, theory every once in a while and not saying this person says this and so hmm you know this is contrasted with this theory etc etc but more exploring how that kind of theory can inform an understanding of life and if that's see if that seems very vague that's okay <laughs> it'll get clearer as time goes on and we actually do this and sometimes I'm going to talk about my health <laughs> and hopefully I'm not going to talk about this in a really boring or overly personal way. Um, the reason I think this is important is um, because I get to deal with a, a variety of health challenges, um, physical challenges and uh, emotional, mental challenges <laughs> that I think need to be talked about. Um, some of them don't necessarily need to be talked about as much as others, but they're interesting to me, and I think they might be interesting to other people. And what's been so interesting has been the the challenge of finding adequate health care. And so as I traverse this very difficult landscape, um, I'm going to share some of the things that have been that happened to me in the hopes that they make um, other people's journeys a little less difficult. Um, I found that it is very helpful to have other people's experiences um, made available to me. And also, I have found that it's important, especially for the mental slash emotional illnesses, it's important for people to hear it from the viewpoint of someone who can be articulate about it, someone who's been through it. Um, and. Uh, so I'll talk about that. Uh, probably this, I'll call it a segment called um, <laughs> "What's Wrong with Me," <laughs> but of course it will incorporate the trying to figure things out and uh, make sense of it and uh, find the best care. So let's see. Hmm. Other things that we'll talk about. You know, 
I think that that's probably most of what I will talk about. Uh, uh, of course, other things will, will uh, come up as time goes on. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I've been very lonely <laughs> for the past year and a half as I've been finishing my doctoral dissertation. It's such lonely work. You go out, um, I did a, a human participants um, dissertation, and you go out and you do all of this field work where you're interacting with people, your connections with people and what they have to say are all important. You're collecting it all. You're trying to keep track of it. And then you go into this sort of monastic mode where you're in the abbey and you uh, can't leave really. It's just you working on your dissertation every day. And every once in a while you can, you can get some feedback from your professors, but they're really busy. And especially if they trust you, they don't have much to say. <laughs> Which is, you know, there are pros and cons about that. So I've been just desperately lonely for quite a while now. And uh, I'm starting to be able to reconnect with other people, but as a result of um, some of my health challenges, I can't really have a big job yet. You know, you get done with a doctoral program and people say, what are you doing with it? And mostly I say, I'm relaxing. <laughs> I'm knitting a lot. I'm crocheting. I'm playing with my rats. Um, but I have applied for a, a little uh, part-time job at the local library. We'll see how that goes. Um, I've worked in libraries a lot. I like libraries. And in fact, I got my degree from a library school um, at the University of Illinois and um, at Urbana-Champaign. And it's a really good library school, and I think public libraries are one of the most fabulous inventions ever, ever. Um, and I love librarians, but I really don't like the ALA. <laughs> I, I clash with the ALA. I think it, it tends to um, uh, do things and mandate things that are not at all relevant to the librarian on the street in most of the libraries in the United States. Uh, I think there it's, it may be relevant to people in the big cities the librarians in the big cities, but in my experience working at the smaller libraries, they just kind of say, yep, the ALA says this, and we do what we have to. And so I don't think, that, and, the, and every once in a while the ALA says, like, we're going to force people to do this, and I think, you jackasses. <laughs> you can't force people to do this. They're public libraries. If they do things that they're, um, <laughs> they do things that they're, that their population, their constituency doesn't like. They lose their jobs. So anyway, I think that it's just a, a bad situation. Um, and and I, I appreciate what the ALA is trying to do, but I really don't like the way they do it. So, um, <laughs> oh, I'm supposed to go watch DS9, Deep Space Nine, with my husband right now. So I'll go do that. And then I will make another podcast. Um, very soon, and I'm looking forward to talking with you. Bye.